Hello there, and welcome to the X Show with your host Tony Shu, realtor and entrepreneur. I have with me a special guest today, my wife. Please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Donna Shu. Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist associate, and um, I'm happy to be here. Yes, and I'm happy to have you here too. We are today. We're going to be discussing a something that is close to many of our fair listeners. We're going to be talking about couples therapy, as she happens to be an expert in it, with many years of experience in this field. In fact, she runs her own private practice right here in Plano, Texas. And so we're going to be drilling her mind, really understanding how it is that couples can work together and what exactly couples therapy really is. Because couples therapy, to some people... Uh, I know I'm, I'm aware of it, is, uh, has, has some stigma. And so let's try to demystify this as a topic and see whether or not you listener could benefit from some or if you know somebody who might. Are you ready to talk? Yeah, I wanted to kind of start off with a short disclaimer that um, that the show and everything that I say within the show is not to be a replacement for any kind of treatment by any kind of licensed professional. Um, everything that I say is opinion and it's meant for education and entertain entertainment purposes only. Just wanted to say that it's gotta be careful about these things. <laughs> gotta be careful indeed. Right, let, let's start off with really the most basic questions. What do you can what what is couples therapy to you? Um what is couples therapy? Um Hmm. I think it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a big question. It's like, what is it? It, in a short answer, it's two people agreeing. The key word is agreeing to go to therapy together. And couples therapy implies that they're in a relationship of some kind. Doesn't need to be married. They can be dating. They can be engaged. They can be married or, you know, whichever one. But it typically means they are in a relationship. That's the simplest explanation of what couples therapy is and that the reason that they're coming to do any kind of therapy is that they're doing it with the ex express purpose of working together on their relationship. That's an excellent summation. So in your experience as an LMFTA, what are some common challenges that couples face when they're looking for therapy? Um, common challenges. Well, I mean, I think the biggest one is infidelity. It's a pretty common thing. Um, infidelity, all, all seven types of infidelity. It could be, you know, one night stand. It can be something premeditated. It could be the long time, long term infidelities, all the, types of infidelity. So I would say that's a pretty common one. It's a pretty big one. I get a lot of when people say we are, we're going to couples therapy because we're not communicating well. That's another one that I get a lot. And it's too, usually it goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, it's not just miscommunication, but it's definitely a form of not being able to understand how your partner feels about certain things or interpreting what your partner says. Um, in a way that either hurts 
damages the relationship or has been damaging the relationship and it kind of kind of leads to the couple having a negative interaction cycle and a dynamic that they don't like but they can't seem to get out of and that's typically why I get clients like when they decide to come to me either one of that's not those are not the only ones but those are just a few examples of what I get all right well let's dig into that a little bit deeper you mentioned there were seven types of infidelity I'm not sure everyone that's really common knowledge for everyone could you go into that a little bit more yes so as I said there's seven types the first one is the one that everybody thinks about which is the full-blown physical uh relationship you know it's the one where they've been talking for a while and they've been having a relationship over a long period of time it's the the i would say like the classic like they're cheating on me kind of definition um and it tends to be sexual so i would say that's the biggest one the next one is Mm, the emotional affair. This is another really common one. It's basically cheating without the sexual part of it. And this is often, I think, contested whether it is or isn't an affair because nothing has physically happened. But it's a form of, it's considered a form of cheating because it is cheating. The definition, the therapeutic, I wouldn't say this is like in any like, uh, like DSM definition of cheating, but the understanding in the therapy world of cheating is kind of thinking it as delving energy elsewhere that you could be when it comes to a relationship. So like relationship energy, you're putting that in something else as opposed to putting that in your relationship. So you're spending that energy elsewhere and that can involve an emotional affair, it can involve a sexual affair, the typical, you know, physical affair. Those are like examples of how that would look like. So that's the second one. Did you want me to go into all seven? Well, let's let's stop at that emotional affair because I think as as you said, there's a bit of gray area as to whether or not a lot of people truly consider that to be an affair. And you mentioned that kind of the defining characteristic is that sort of the delving energy or driving energy that would otherwise be spent on you know, your your core relationship onto something else. Yeah, yeah. Can we clarify that a little bit further? Because where, where exactly does a line get drawn from, say, somebody being a friend where you obviously develop, where you're directing energy that could otherwise be directed mm-hmm, towards mm-hmm. your partner, but instead of being directed to a friend, when does that become an emotional affair? It's a really good question. It's... So for people to kind of know when that line is drawn is when, let's say, um, you got, you have a couple, you have partner A, partner B, partner A is talking to a friend outside of the marriage and partner B knows about the friend, but doesn't know the extent to which they speak. So partner A talks to this friend who is of their sexual preference and they talk either frequently, like throughout the day, they talk about 
things happening in their, in their own marriages. Like let's say that their person is married, but I don't want to complicate it. So we've got a couple, our first couple that they're married. So you have, you start treating that person as a confidant and it involves sharing information about your relationship that is, could be useful to your partner, to like partner B to know in order to help the relationship thrive. But instead of sharing it with them and saying, Hey, let's work on this. You're starting to share that with your, with your friend over there. And your friend starts to like, Oh, I can probably do like, I don't know, do a better job or I can help you with that. And starts, it starts to blur the lines when you're delving that kind of information over to the friend and the friend is kind of solving it and addressing those needs and your needs are being fulfilled elsewhere. That's where it starts to not, it starts to bleed into the other type of relationship because now you're dependent, depending a little bit more on this one than with partner B and partner B is usually like unaware of, of this happening. It becomes a secret. If you're feeling like you're having to be really secretive with your partner, that's an indicator that something's going on, even if you're subconsciously being more secretive. Right. So what does apply to situations where somebody is perhaps venting about the problems in their relationship to somebody else that they that uh, their partner doesn't necessarily know about? Yeah, like let's say like because it sounds a little a little vague still because. It could simply just be someone. It's it's that's something that I think a lot of people would do with their best friend. You know, divulge a lot of private information. So yeah. When does it cross that? When when does it become this emotional affair? Or is it really just um? Or is it really just? If is it really just hard to tell? I mean, is it that they're taking over the role of the um of your of the partner, or is it? Or how would you describe it? It, I mean, it replaces your partner altogether. It would replace your partner emotionally at first, and then it could lead into something physical. Sometimes it doesn't, but I mean, it could. It's, it's basically, it's not technically a precursor to the full blown affair. Um, but it can be. And it's, it isn't the same thing as like, oh, I'm venting to my friend about, all the things that have been going on. I'm so mad. And your friend's like, I can help you with that. How about we get together at my place? We can talk about it a little bit more. I can help you. I'll take you out. You said that your partner doesn't take you on dates. How about we go on a date? So the emotional affair requires that the other person, the the mistress in the situation, would be putting energy into it too, that they otherwise would be devoting towards like some kind of partner. Yeah, because... It's basically you're experiencing a problem with your, whoever, your spouse, your partner, and your partner has no idea about it. Maybe they have an inkling. They've been noticing you're a little bit distant. They notice that you kind of don't really spend a whole lot of time with them, that you've been out a little bit more, and they don't know what to do about it. So they kind of like, maybe they're thinking, oh, well, maybe they just don't want to spend time with me. But it's this feeling of... They are spending that time elsewhere, not communicating it too much. It's like very vague. It feels secretive. 
um, it's typically secretive. I would say if you're feeling like you're keeping secrets from your partner, that's, and it's, it's involving someone else, obviously, like you can, whatever secrets, I'm not here to judge anybody if they have some skeletons in the closet that they don't want to share, but it's, if you feel like you're keeping secrets about a person or an online relationship to your partner, that indicates a level of awareness subconsciously, maybe where, you know, something is going on because if it wasn't so much a secret, if it wasn't that hard for you to just say, Hey, yeah, I'm talking to I don't know, this person. It's fine. Your partner can be there while you do it. Okay. So it's one of those, sounds like it's one of those situations where you don't, you can't necessarily define it as in this is exactly what leads with this is exactly what it looks like, but you know it when you see it because of the time and attention that they're devoting towards something else and the level of emotional investment. It's definitely the emotional investment and the time dedicated to that as opposed to dedicating time to fixing the relationship that you're talking about. Right. It's that and being secretive. The secretive part is a big indicator of just of lying because in the end you have to justify the time that you've spent elsewhere to your partner and you have to make something up. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Let's, uh, let's keep going on. You said there were five more types yeah. of infidelity. Yeah. So then there's the digital one. I, I mentioned it, which is like, if you're online, that one's only become a thing when the internet started. Uh, cause obviously it wasn't a thing before, but it's been rising obviously. Cause now we've got internet all the time and easy access to everything really. So that tends to happen a lot. Um, nowadays. So the digital, the digital inf- type of infidelity sounds like it's more about a mode of communication, you know, over the internet or through some kind of technology. Yeah. Technology. Like social media and all that stuff. So that, Kind of sounds like it might be just a form of the other types of a form of that emotional yeah infidelity. So it's like a subset. Yeah, it's a subset because um, you are not physical too, unless you go meet them and like do the physical thing. But uh, yeah, you are uh, interacting with them every day. You're sharing your emotions and feelings with your online partner rather than with your spouse or with the other partner that you're in a relationship actually in a relationship with um it's it's everything it's like the definition of what people expect when they are in a relationship they want that person to be there for them and their confidant and they they want that person to to love them and if that's what you're experiencing with another person that you are sexually attracted to it doesn't mean you need to act on it it still is something that's kind it's a, it's a cyber affair it's just a subset of the other one though so you mentioned that bit like the sexual attraction is it possible to have an emotional affair or digital affair with somebody that you that you're not that is not of shall i say your sexual orientation uh what do you mean like if, like if you're not was... into them you're not into them Right. So then the key to find is, is the key defining part of it. The fact they match your sexual orientation. So let's make like a sexual preferences. Well, I mean, you need to be into them. Right. I mean, you're, 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 and this, this gets like, uh, 
I don't want to get into like all the technicalities of what you just said because there's technicalities, obviously. Um, but generally the cyber affair is a great way to have an emotional affair. That's just how it ends up happening because you can talk all the time and send cute, sexy messages. I am assuming there is a physical attraction there, a sexual attraction. Otherwise, you wouldn't be delving so much energy into this other person if you weren't attracted to them. I see. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. The fourth one is the one night stand. So it's like an opportunist type of affair. You've you didn't plan on it. It wasn't premeditated. You didn't have a long-standing relationship with that person budding. You just took the opportunity when it when, when it was there. Like you, I don't know. Yeah, this is a you classic. Meet him anywhere. It's a classic, like Hollywood, like um, it's the classic Hollywood kind of cheating where they make a mistake one night and they end up regretting it. Mm-hmm. But of course, in Hollywood. You know, they end up having the kid all the time, and then they end up having to balance two families because you got to create some drama for the screen. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, drama can happen in real life, too. (laughs) Oh, cool. Yeah, so with this one, it really depends on the couple's communication about one-night stands. The reason I say this, that this one is particularly different, is because there's no pre-established relationship with this person. People, in general, tend to forgive this one a little bit more because there could have been alcohol involved. There could have been, you know, some kind of drugs or whatever it is. There's always, you're thinking, it was just a one-time thing. This isn't going to happen again. They're not going to do the same thing that happened that night again with this person. So more than likely, it really depends. Both of them, all, all, all these affairs, I mean, people react in several ways, but this right. one tends to be kind of, uh, like seen as a moment of weakness as opposed to you've been lying to me for so long. And it's a, like a, it is a betrayal, but it isn't a long standing betrayal. Where there's like so much repair that needs to be done. And in, in essence, there's, in essence, what you're talking about, the alcohol, drugs, there's something else that could potentially be, the blame could be laid at the foot of, instead of the person directly. Yeah, like, it's not always the case. I mean, maybe they were totally sober and they just had a lapse of judgment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it can be any one of those but I think it really just uh, does boil down to because it was a one-time thing, people tend to forgive those because it's a one-time thing. It was a moment of weakness. They're not going to do this again. And I trust them. And they had it's not like they were talking to this person for a really long time. It was just a physical thing. You know, like there's a lot of uh, reasons that people can give. And honestly, I don't think it's that bad of a reaction. I think... Um, I believe in second chances. So, yeah, I can say uh, the opportunist isn't a a fair type, but it is a little more forgivable than if you've been doing it for three years behind your spouse's back. In in a sense, that makes sense what you're saying, right? Like, the the other one's a longer-term betrayal. But because of the simple fact it's a longer-term betrayal, it it would involve more investment. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So in in, in a sense, it it sounds like it could be a little bit murky about how someone particularly feels. I mean, it may not always necessarily be more easily forgiven. It kind of sounds like they implied that they lost control of themselves. That they weren't right. thinking yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I mean, any infidelity is an emotionally catastrophic event to to the couple. Both, yeah, to the couple. Yeah. So feeling that kind of sense of you know, your partner at any moment could theoretically lose control of themselves and get involved in the infidelity. Mm-hmm. In some sense, that could be a much bigger betrayal of trust because you can't trust this person can control themselves. Is that what you would feel? <laughs> well, uh, I can see how someone <laughs> could feel it. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's there's a valid point to what anyone would feel in this. It's hard to say how one would feel, but you can estimate that betrayal has happened. The breakage of trust has occurred here. So whether a person reacts like how you were saying, or whether they say, I can forgive this because it was a one-time thing. I trust my partner still. It means if you say that, if you say, I can forgive this because it was a one-time thing, then you're saying, I still trust them. This wasn't enough to break my trust in absolution. Will I be annoyed? Will I be a little skittish? Will I watch them a little bit more? Maybe. But the trust is not completely broken. Like what you were describing where it shook that person so hard that it happened that now they don't trust their judgment at all, which is more seen as an inherent issue with that person's judgment Mm -hmm. as opposed to there's something wrong with our relationship that led you to having an emotional affair or a physical affair and taking fault in it. It almost sounded like what you were describing is you having an opportunist affair uh, means there was absolutely nothing wrong with me and it was all you. That's kind of what I kind of heard. You can correct me. I mean, I'm just, that's what I heard. Oh, I guess, yeah, someone could think that. I'm just exploring the possibilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one way to look at it, but I get people who do the other one a little bit more. Makes sense. So you said there were three more types of affairs? Yes. Um, there is the, what it's called, like the distraction affair when someone has an affair when they're really stressed. So it's kind of like the opportunist, but not really. Because it's in a moment of true emotional duress and vulnerability. And like it can happen when they're having a really hard time coping with something. Uh, like they've just lost someone. Um, maybe their father or their mother, someone really close to them. And they have an affair as a means to distract themselves from the pain and the grief that they're experiencing. So it is not with the intention of taking the opportunity. It is, I am so bereaved by what is happening. I am not thinking straight. And they jumped into something that they probably otherwise wouldn't have done. That makes sense. If you're just tuning in, listener, have with me here, Donna Shu, my wife and co-host. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist associate and right now we're talking about the topics of affairs. She's about to tell me the last two out of seven types of affairs. Okay. 
Um, so you want to move on to the next one? Yep. Alrighty. Um, the, this one is called the quote double life affair. Uh, this one is, it's considered the riskiest one because it's really risky because it's the most difficult to maintain. It's when you have a double life, you have two families. That That's really what it means. It's absolute infidelity on all levels possible. It's emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual. It's a total tragedy because the other family usually has no clue that their spouse has an entirely separate life with someone else, with other kids and stuff like that. So that one is a double life. That's a big type of affair. Well, that makes sense. Certainly how it would be the most riskiest, especially considering that, I mean, if they had children involved, that could theoretically never end. I mean, yeah, I've, I saw a case on TV, um, about an Italian doctor, Dr. Powell. Yeah, Dr. Paolo, and uh, he, he had this thing happen. He had, I don't remember if it was three or four. He was getting married to a reporter, and she had a kid, and then he had another wife in, or girlfriend or whatever in Spain with kids there, and then he had another few people. Like, he just had everyone all over the place, so he would fall in number six. Well, it's definitely the most, it's definitely incredibly, sh- I would say, possibly the most shocking out of all the different types that you've expressed because they have to maintain so much effort. They really have to split themselves in two. They're always sleeping in somewhere else. They have to explain what's going on to both families at the same time as yeah. to why they're never there half of the time. It is quite the time commitment, I will say. A lot of effort goes into these. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk about the last one. Which one you got? So lastly, the one, it's just called the serial affair. So basically, the uh, lack of a better word, it's like when someone's kind of like a like playboy, playgirl, they just constantly sleep with people, even if they're married. And they just kind of like the thrill of a new romance. And um, yeah, basically, they don't really care about what their partner feels about this, but they just keep cheating serially. So that's what this last one is. It's like a a continuous type of cheating it is like multiple one night stands with several people and it is not an emotional thing so that's the other type that's the last one right right so, so in, a, in a sense that's more of a serious a more serious version of the um the opportunist of the opportunist effect, yeah right? yeah 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 so looking at all of these i mean i mean it makes sense how the opportunist affairs work out serial affairs as well as the one night stands that that's pretty self-evident as to how um, those get started but how would you say an affair starts how does someone go on the process of thinking that they need to start this relationship with somebody else outside of the marriage mm-hmm. but does it just happen by I'm, I'm sure sometimes it happens by accident mm-hmm. so what's kind of process that goes through that they go through in order to get that well, since I just talked about all seven, each one of those has its own way of starting. Um, typically, the the physical one and the emotional one, it begins with a void of communication with their current partner. So 
it's a void of communication. It's the lack of communicating how distant they are becoming or how unhappy they are, or if they have been and it hasn't been heard, then they take matters into their own hands. But usually it isn't, usually I say this lightly, it isn't with the intention to cheat. A lot of the times it isn't. However, I have seen cases, not my own, but like with Candy Montgomery in the case of, um, that happened in Wiley, um, she went up to, uh, her friend's husband and directly asked him, would you want to start an affair? That's actually one of the few times that I've seen this in this real, real life story that that has happened. You're talking um, about the uh, HBO Max show. Was it Love or Death, right? Love and Death, yeah. The one with the uh, the Scarlet Witch. Oh man. The one, the one who plays Scarlet Witch. I think it's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. Olsen. Yeah, yeah. So she is depicting Candy Montgomery, who is a real person, and uh, you know, uh, committed a crime. And that's what this. That's what that. It's a dramatization of the case, um, where she ended up killing her friend. Not even because she was in love with the friend's husband. She just, you know, it's arguable if it was self-defense or not. And that's what the whole case is about. But basically, in that case, if everything that was, you know, that part, it's, it's obviously acted. And I mean, they weren't there. But if it was the way that it was portrayed in that show, documentary drama show, then... She blatantly asked, do you want to start an affair? I've been thinking, do you want to be my affair partner? That I haven't seen a whole lot or heard a whole lot in my experience. But I mean, apparently it can happen. I mean, anything can happen. You can be very explicit about it or you could be just really, really, really close friends with someone and start keeping secrets about that friendship to your spouse or your partner. and you know, it goes from there. So you mentioned this a few times, keeping secrets. Is that the point that you've, is, is that the point that you consider something? Cause you just mentioned that, um, a lot of times, well, most of the time they don't start these relationships off thinking that they're affairs. They're just, just looking Do for it. some companionship yeah. outside, outside of their relationship. Cause they're not getting it, not getting what they want mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. relationship. So they're looking for it outside of it. And so where is that the point that you would say that an affair begins, that point that you feel like you need to be secretive about it? I would say, and I do want to say this before I answer that, I don't want to villainize anyone who has ever cheated on anybody. That is not my intention at all. People do what they do simply because they do it. That's, it's not, I don't, I don't, I want to make it really clear that this conversation is not meant to villainize anybody for their decision making. I am not judging anyone. I really wanted to make that clear because <laughs> I know there's a really big stigma with cheaters always once a cheater, always a cheater kind of thing. Right. And the thing is, that's not entirely accurate. People change, people make mistakes. And I think it's important to afford them the ability to make amends. Um, I am a healer. I don't like to destroy people. So if someone came up to me and said I was unfaithful, I'm not there and just to sit there and judge them. Yeah, you did. You did an affair. So you know you did it wrong. They already know how they feel about it. 
you know I'm you not barely know the facts you don't have to tell you don't have to lay I don't it gotta out yeah I don't gotta tell them anything about it they know they know and at the end of the day they already feel bad that's why they're talking to me you know so I'm not here to judge absolutely anyone for the actions that they've done so answering your question um secrets <laughs> that reminded me <laughs> the office michael scott <laughs> secret secrets are no fun <laughs> secret secrets hurt someone <laughs> honestly it's true if you're <laughs> the way she said it was secret secrets so she means the way that i interpret that is little small things don't cons aren't considered big secrets but when you're keeping an entire relationship uh whether it's emotional or physical from your spouse or or partner yeah you got a problem they are no fun they hurt someone i don't i agree with that so you mentioned you mentioned a little bit about you know you treat people with who have both been the victim of infidelity as well as it's as well as people who commit infidelity who you say in in a strong sense, victims themselves. Um, I did not, I don't want to use the word victim because it implies, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say that both are victims. I would say what happened is a tragedy. It is a tragedy for their relationship, which it sounds like was not prioritized. So that's, that's how I would describe it. It's a tragedy, not so much there's victims or there's you versus them or like me versus you kind of thing. It's a tragedy that there was not enough communication established and coping mechanisms for hardships that it led to something that broke trust for both people. And it has led to the consequences that, that they have had. That's kind of where I would say, I would just call it a tragedy. Right, that's very forward thinking. So let's imagine a situation here. You know, someone has someone has recently come from an affair. A couple has recently come from an affair, and they come into your office. What's kind of the first steps that you take towards healing from that affair? Like, what what do you do in order to start them on the process of therapy? So, depending if they're first timers for therapy. I Let's would. pretend in this situation that first timers. Okay. Um, in my understanding is not too many relationships can survive two infidelities and two infidelities, but a lot of them can. Most can survive one. Is yeah. That the stats around it. Yeah, most can survive one. Um, less survive two. I can't tell you the number because I don't remember, but that's generally most people because it's the first time it has happened. People tend to give second chances, especially if they're married or if they're, you know, they don't have to be married, but if they have shared assets and children, things that make it difficult for them to leave. Yeah. Not just so difficult for them to leave. It's, also it's investment into it's, them, each other. It's um, the way they see it is I've given my life to this person. I And even if this happened, I'm not willing to end the marriage quite so easily because we have children together. We have shared finances together. We have house, a house together, cars together. 
we are intertwined. So they, their first attempt is to make it work because of all the things I just said. It's very helpful to think this person, it's really helpful when, when the person who did the cheating acknowledges that there was cheating. If they are adamant that they didn't cheat and that it meant nothing, then, then it becomes difficult to see them. So, okay. You're saying your scenario was I get a couple first time, first timers. They've never come to therapy before. Yeah. First timers never been to, never been to therapy before. You know, they're new to the process and they may not necessarily know what's going to happen. They just know mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. something happened. They just know that, um, you know, this affair happened to them and now they need to be on the path for the recovery. How do you get them on that path? Um, so it's the first session. So I kind of try to establish expectations about what therapy is and how I would be working with them. So first thing I would say is I use the EFT model. So it's emotionally focused therapy and it is, it has empirical evidence behind it to work with specifically it's used for couples. Um, so that's how I would start. I would just, you know, introduce myself and say, you know, that sometimes, and it's the truth, sometimes things get a bit hairy in therapy, but not all the time. It doesn't have to be very painful. I always try to add a little bit of humor or a lot of humor in my sessions. Otherwise, it's just like people go in there and they're just like, I'm going to get depressed the second that I walk in. I definitely don't want to be something something that uh, brings people down. Rather, I, I kind of want to help them uh, be a beam of light. Um, they follow a beam of light. I'm not saying I'm any kind of savior or anything, but I want to give them a bit right, of guidance. But you're, but you're, but therapy and, and you are in a sense a service or tool that they can use to get the relationship back on track, which on track really means for them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like I said, I was, I would do explain what EFT is. Uh, first, if it's a first session, I would start with talking about their negative interaction, uh, cycle. So like, what is, what is their dynamic right now? That's got them stuck. But if it's an infidelity, so if they're coming in for an infidelity, I need to address that first before I can address everything else. Like you're asking me to get kind of technical. Um, I don't want to bore the audience. I guess the real (laughs) question here is, uh, you're not boring the audience. (laughs) They hear the they hear the they hear the listen because you have a ton of knowledge and expertise in this area. Because uh, sticking on topic, your question here would be, how do you address that infidelity in therapy? Oh, I'm pretty blunt. So, how do I address it? I'm like, so I heard someone was unfaithful. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I I'm pretty blunt. So I say, I'm going to be pretty blunt about this. I usually if uh, there was an infidelity. It is written in the intake. So I kind of know what to expect. And I just talk about it. So I read y'all's intake and I saw that there was infidelity. I'm not here to point any fingers for any of it. I'm not here to judge. I just wanted to acknowledge, is that what's bringing you in? And then they would be like, yeah, that brings me in. Right. And then we would go from there. I'm pretty blunt. So, an infidelity, I mean, one of the biggest things that happens as a result of it is that breaking of that in a marriage, that marital trust, a relationship that is still the same trust that this person is 
at least for monogamous couples, is is faithful to you. I mean, that's 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 basically the common vernacular. They're faithful, they're unfaithful, and they're unfaithful if they commit infidelity. Yeah. So, given that they've broken this kind of, given that this trust has been broken, or at least severely strained by this event, how do you approach the topic of rebuilding that trust? Is that something that can be truly rebuilt with an infidelity? Sure, for sure. I've seen it where it has been. Um, It also helps when the marriage is long. So if you've been with this person for a really long time and there's an infidelity, those typically survive again any kind of they they survive that particular infidelity because they've known that person for so long so they give more benefit of the doubt and they experience more of a more of a patience more patience than let's say if it's a newly wedded couple and they just got married and then they're unfaithful they're out they're outies sometimes they don't stay because it's so fresh and so new, you're just like, really? We just got married and you're cheating on me already? But bye. That's just, I would say, how it tends to happen. Um, but yeah, the longer you've been with your spouse or your partner, it does help you, if you are the one that got cheated on, help you get to forgiveness because of that benefit of the doubt that is you know, inherent in those couples. Right. So how do you go about rebuilding that trust with that couple? Um, with the EFT model. So we would talk about their interactive, their negative interaction cycle. So like what, what effects has the infidelity had on their marriage or their relationship? Like what is happening? I need to, I need examples, like concrete examples of what's happening. So let's say in this theoretical couple, um, there's a lot of resentment and it looks really like the, the one that was cheated on is really mad and really resentful and, and like wants the partner that did the cheating to grovel at their feet. And that's their negative interaction cycle where the one feels really guilty and wants to take it back, but ha- doesn't have the ability to do so in a way that their partner that was cheated on really accepts so it would go first with addressing their current negative interaction cycle, helping them establish a different type of cycle, which takes several sessions. It's talking through that resentment and talking about repair work and the trust that was broken. It's empathic conjecture. It's validation. It's helping both of them. And I say both. I say both. Because I, I I know there's a big stigma for people who cheat. Not that I'm siding with people who cheat. But I do do make it a point to have a neutral stance as a therapist, as a professional, when I'm working with people like that. I don't want one person to feel less than the other simply because I'm, because like they did the cheating or, you know what I mean? So I focus right. really I focus really hard on the neutrality and it's, understanding both. It's couples therapy. You're not there just for the person that you like. You're here to help the couple yeah. regenerate, in a sense, regenerate from what the harm that has been done to them. And so you yeah. must pay attention to both of them, not just the not just the person that got cheated on, so to speak. 
Right, right, right. Like it's a, it's about that, that safety that they should experience in a therapy room when they're talking to their therapist. Help me is what they both want. And I mean, I don't want to have one feel like they're being helped and the other one is not. That would be, that would be a poor example of a, of a session. Right, right. Because again, it's couples therapy. You're there for the couple, not just the individual. You're there for both of them. Mm -hmm. You mentioned at the beginning that another common problem with relationships with couples is communication practices. Um, and you also mentioned how, um, how people begin infidels because of something that's lacking from, uh, there's something that's lacking in the current relationship. That's why they seek it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. These are, I, I imagine there's probably, there's probably a lot of, say, how do you put it, comorbidity between those that people who have infidelity problems also tend to have communication problems? Um, well, I mean, it's comorbidity is used for diagnoses. So like you can have bipolar and you could have depression and that's comorbidities. But, uh, um, well, occurring concurrently then in the relationship, mm-hmm. because there must've been, it, it sounds like to an extent what you, what you, what you said was that people who are happy with their relationship don't, commit infidelities or at least very rarely commit infidelities um no i didn't say that that they're looking for something that to fill some kind of hole what i was saying was people who commit infidelities um are having problems communicating and that is not to say they haven't communicated i'm saying they are having problems being understood maybe the communication is not being relayed in a way that the other partner knows what is happening um, so there is a deficiency in communication and which is a symptom of, of the affair because it doesn't, just because you're not able to communicate doesn't mean you're going to have an affair. Right. It's just, that's a precursor for a multitude of things. It could be you're not communicating and you are not necessarily cheating for anything, but you're fighting all the time. You, you you really resent each other. You know, it can show up in, in a lot of ways. Infidelity is just one way that it can show up, that you're not talking in a way where you both understand each other. That is not to give fault to the cheater. Like I've been saying, that does not mean this is the cheater's fault, that they didn't communicate well. It's simply the messages that were relayed by both parties were not received. Right. So in us, so considering that, then would you say that in a sense that if infidelity happens in a relationship, that both people in there have had a role to play in it, but both people in the you know the original couple, not necessarily the the cheater and the mistress, but mm-hmm. people in the original couple, they both had a role to play in it because of that lacking maybe the lack of communication maybe the constant fighting and that and 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 that how does um do they they do they both play a role would you say that they both play a role in that together mm-hmm. i laugh because a lot of people won't, won't like the answer i'm gonna give 
You hear the drop. You hear the drop down the knowledge X factor to infidelity. Originally, we were talking about couples. Now it's about infidelity. <laughs> okay. The person who does the infidelity and chooses to continue. So let's say it went from opportunist to physical and full blown. There is a series of choices that they make. Initially, it was probably not the intention, but there is a series of choices that they make. That is what they did. And the person, the other partner, you know, the one that has no idea this was going on, but has been noticing that they've been having issues, hasn't really been doing anything to change anything, um, hasn't really addressed it, or simply is unable to communicate well with their partner. There is, I wouldn't, I don't want to call it fault, but there is an effect that that has on the other person. Did the other person need to cheat? Absolutely not. However, they were both influencing each other and they both made decisions that led to what was going to happen, whether it was an affair or whether it was something else. So I don't like the word fault. Well, nobody, yeah. nobody's an island, right? They get mm-hmm. influenced by the people around them and especially the closest relationship, or at least the legally binding relationship in the marriage would have a strong influence on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if it's someone that you're interacting with every day and you're extremely unhappy and you've tried communicating it and it's not really being heard, something's going to happen. Something will break. So I think a common thing that people feel when this infidelity happened is that really kind of knee-jerk reaction of why didn't you just break up first mm-hmm. before you do it then then it's fine in mm-hmm. a sense because then you're not you're not crossing you're not crossing the you're not crossing the streams like ghostbusters you ended one thing now you're on another thing what 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 will be your answer to people who say why didn't they just why didn't they just break up or get divorced and then go through that divorce i think i think divorce is perhaps a little less relevant because divorce takes time you have to go for the paperwork and stuff you can't just drop it but theoretically you could people even break up with text messages nowadays they spend five seconds to say hey we're no longer together then go do their thing with somebody else are you saying it, you're not talking about spousal relationships you're talking about the ones that are not as well i'm saying I'm, I'm saying more kind of in general but obviously it's easy to do it when you don't have that kind of legal framework binding you together of why don't of when of uh what your response of what your response would be to be if someone asked why didn't they just get divorced mm-hmm. break up separate in some fashion so, so they're no longer a couple and then just go do this now no longer an affair but really just like a regular relationship with somebody else so if it's why didn't they just get divorced what and and like why did they cheat why didn't they just get divorced there is a practical response to that right so that one is a practical response divorce is money Divorce money time time and kids together you can have all that stuff right so it's easier to Right, not so, divorce. So let's talk about the more, so let's talk about the more mm, less legally bound kinds of relationships. Couple. Like, 
like oh, girlfriend, boyfriend. Why? What would you be response be to when you just get when you just break up with the other person, then go do the thing with somebody else? A lot of the times, they still love the person they're with. They just don't know how to talk to them. Um, that's why when you were says so you're saying happy happy people don't cheat. I was like, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's it's definitely having a mutual agreement that you both honor. So. The thing here was, if there was a mutual agreement, one person isn't honoring it. So the, the, it is a valid question. I was like, why didn't you end this relationship? Honestly, it, honestly, it could be a plethora of reasons. It's I, I'm cozy in that relationship, and I wanted to be cozy with someone else too. That that could be the simple. That's the type of affair. That's the serial type. If they do it several times. And then there's the reason of, I did not know how to talk to this person. I was in grief. Like it, it goes back to all the infidelities that I mentioned. Those are all the reasons that people can give. It's, oh, why didn't you leave them? Well, I like them. I, I still care about them. So in a sense, they wanted to keep what they had, right. but also get something else as well. Yeah. I mean, they, they care about the person that they were with. Uh, ironically, I know. I know it's counterintuitive. Well, people are complex creatures. We don't have too much time left. So last question. What would you say to people who are struggling with infidelity now? I would say there's always hope. If it's a first transgression, definitely give it a second shot. Um, get the help when you need it. Don't wait too long. Well, that resentment grows so much that it can divide people. It can. Um, infidelities are not a reflection of a person's integrity. Infidelities are simply a tragedy. Simply, I say. Not, not a good word. I'll rephrase that. Infidelities are a tragedy. They're a breakage of trust and they're a betrayal that the repair work takes way more effort and time. And in general, Try not to do them. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, if there were fewer, you wouldn't get as much business, would you? I mean. <laughs> that's just that's just a joke. <laughs> that's just a joke. Well, thank you so much for, ha so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for tuning in today's episode, listeners. If you have any questions, concerns, or simply want to drop a line to your host, Tony Shu, you can feel free to contact me through the BBS Radio website, or send me an email directly to Tony at ShoeCapital.co. That's Tony at ShoeCapital with an A dot C-O. Thank you very much and have a great night.